Welcome back to a Sunday edition of Stand on Guard. I'm your host, David Creighton. Thanks for watching today. You've all heard of surreal artwork. Well, I've got a surreal climate change conference for you in just a minute. So we are in a very precarious position in this country. We need political change, but we also need the resolve to resist. Yes, please ring the bell, like my cat Sasha indicates there. And like this broadcast right now, if you can take a minute, it really helps, believe me. And I always forget to ask at the beginning. And so I've been reminded many times, please ask people to like the broadcast. And if you do so, we beat the, the algorithm. That silly algorithm that is so difficult. To, share this with your friends and family. Subscribe if you haven't already done so. We're, we're trying to hit the 15,000 mark by Christmas. I think we can do that. I, you know, I wasn't sure we were going to hit the 1,000 mark when we first started the station. So thank you for everybody who has subscribed already and the keeping the station building and growing day by day, week by week, month by month. But we got we to gotta do better because I'm here to beat Trudeau censorship. When you ring that bell, we beat Trudeau censorship because you'll hear about the next broadcast. Anyway, thanks for joining us. Got that out of the way. So what am I talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conference of Partners 28, COP 28, as it's called. The Climate Change Conference. You've heard about it, yes. There it is. I just wrote an article in the Epic Times about it. It came out yesterday. It's been my fastest growing article on the Epic Times website in three months. Probably, maybe four. People are fascinated by this. And now I call it a surreal conference. Why is that? Because, well, it's kind of like seeing something you don't expect when you're looking ahead of you. Now, you know, you, you can you can put up, find various examples of this, but surrealism is putting the imaginary with the with the real. It's it's foisting together two things that are usually antithetical, antithetical, excuse me, to each other. But in this case, we have COP twenty eight being held in the desert. Yes, in Dubai, UAE. So it's being held in Dubai. I I just I when I first heard this. I couldn't believe that they that the kingpins of climate change, you know, this this elite of climate change, fast change artists, these magicians, these people who think this is an existential threat are going to get away with having a climate change conference in the desert in the middle of oil-rich UAE, United Arab Emirates. It's being chaired, essentially, by a bunch of oil magnets. Do they see any compromise in this? Do they see any contradiction in this? Does it occur to these people that something doesn't look right about this picture? Can you imagine the cost alone of the air conditioning to keep these meeting rooms and these hotel suites nice and cool? 
for the climate change advocates who are all there. Big carbon footprint. And of course, half of these people are arriving on private jets. No big deal. No big deal. Because, you know, as we've heard from so many climate change hypocrites over the years, we are allowed to fly around in private jets. It's okay for us to jet set like this because, you know, we're we're special and we have to get the message out real fast. So don't expect us to take boats across the Atlantic or across the Pacific, whatever the case may be. And don't expect us, for God's sake, to take public air air travel because, you know, we're very special people. We're very important people. And what we do is really, really significant. So we need to travel privately. So, you know, these thousands of people attending this conference, and they all arrive on private jets, just about all of them, 90% at least, are arriving on private jets, and except for some of the people who are part of the Great Unwashed who are also there. They have to fly public, but most of them are arriving in private jets. Another huge carbon footprint, but it's all for the cause, isn't it? Let's listen to some of the blather from here she is, the woman, now a woman, she was a girl when she first went to eat to the United Nations and complained about what how dare you do this to me and my generation put us through climate change it's an existential threat yes here is Greta Thunberg talking about COP28 coming months and the coming years right now that will be crucial in what the future will look like it is what we decide now that will define the rest of humanity's future and whether we choose to do that or not, if we don't, it will be a death sentence to countless of people. And it is already a death sentence to countless of people living on the front lines of the climate crisis today. But the political will is nowhere to be seen. The people in power are spending their time looking for false solutions and finding and creating loopholes which maintains business as usual and keeps them in the position of power. And our, our responsibility and our ro role here as activists in conferences like this is to call them out and to tell the truth. And the truth now is that these processes are failing. They are failing us here in this room. They are failing our children. They are failing all of humanity and the future generations to come, but most importantly, they are failing the people bearing the brunt of this crisis today and have been for the last decades. Here, here, here it all is. They're failing. Everybody's failing, Greta. Everybody's failing the, the climate change activists. They're not fighting hard enough, even though people are impoverished by fighting climate change, especially here in Canada. Uh-huh. Have you thought about this for a second, too? I mean, existential threat aside, whether you think there's impending doom in the next 10 years because of climate change, have you noticed that they call climate change green? You remember what green used to mean when that term first became popular, when it became part of the environmental vernacular? Do you remember what it really meant? It meant cleaning up the earth from real pollution. You know, such as smog in the air and 
pollution in the water and garbage all over the land? And and how do we manage landfill sites better? How do we not pollute the world? It's now it's being used almost exclusively by left-wing woke academics, media, and politicians to describe carbon. Getting rid of carbon is somehow green because they equate carbon with pollution. They don't want to talk about real pollution. They want to talk about imaginary pollution called carbon. Our own Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, loves to talk about the carbon tax as the tax on pollution. He just says that with with such incredible blasé. Like he doesn't really know what he's saying. He doesn't care what he's saying. He says it like we're just supposed to believe it. Yeah, yeah, carbon's pollution. Trudeau says so. Of course, carbon is not a pollution. This is not a tax on pollution. The carbon tax is not a tax on pollution. It's a tax on people who have to buy fossil fuels in order to live, in order to keep the heat on, in order to drive their cars, in order to keep the lights in the house on. So that's what it's a tax on. It's not pollution. So stop talking about green when you're talking about the farcical fight against climate change. When you're talking about a carbon tax that just hurts people. It's a punitive tax on real people. And that's what Justin Trudeau and others who impose carbon taxes around the world can't remember. Let's just see how the media celebrates COP28, though. How they just think it's another wonderful opportunity for these wonderful people to get together, to wine and dine each other, to have gourmet food, to have wonderful conversation over candlelight and wine, and to talk about the future of the Earth. Change. One year ago, he was prevented from even coming. And him, well, he wasn't going, then maybe, then yes, briefly. Spool on a year, King Charles centre stage, recognition for a man who's been warning for decades about climate and fossil fuels. With what we are witnessing, our choice now is a starker and darker one. How dangerous are we actually prepared to make our world? And the PM here, but the UK's reputation for climate leadership damaged by his changing a series of key green promises at home. We have got an incredible track record in decarbonising in the UK, faster than any other major economy. We should be really proud of that, and I'll be proud of that record at my meetings later today. So we can get to net zero, but we can do so in a more realistic, proportionate way. Sunak's ministers doing the media rounds here to press UK climate commitments against significant global criticism. Uh, by 2030, we're going to cut carbon um, from our uh, economy by 68%. The EU is at 55% and the US is at 40%. So that gives you an idea of how far ahead the UK is. I showed you that clip from the UK to demonstrate just how captivated the mass media, the mainstream media in the UK, and it's the same throughout most of Europe, how captivated they are by climate change and how they think this is the issue that most people fret about and lose sleep over at night. You see the reports in Canada and the U.S. all the time. It's the same here. It's the same blather, the same nonsense. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because one of the keynote speakers at COP28 
was, as you see, King Charles II, formerly Prince Charles, who used to blather on about climate change incessantly during his years as prince. Now he's king, and now he can really blather on about climate change because that's he loves that subject. Yes, it's because it's one of those things that you can talk and talk and talk about. And people like him, the elites of this world, the globalists of this world, the people who are acolytes of the World Economic Forum and the United Nations and everybody like that, they can blather on about that because they don't have to make any sacrifices. They expect you to make those sacrifices. They expect you to pay the taxes. They expect you to not be able to afford to live. And ultimately to go in a cave. The prince and the king and the rest of the elites, they've got castles to go to, don't they? But you won't own a home. You won't have any money and you'll like it. Last part's not right. So that's what's happening at COP28. And that's the reality right now of what's happening. So I find this all quite fascinating. And I think it's, it is absolutely ridiculous what the climate change activists continue to get away with because they expect you to give up everything and the net result is what starvation because yes they want fertilizer reduced by 30 percent in canada and in europe and the magic date is all 2030 does that give you pause does that make you concerned that we've got six years of bad things ahead of us, more authoritarianism, more government control, more state interference in your life and every element of your life. You bet it's coming. But Justin Trudeau's not even at COP28. Hmm. But he sent his right-hand henchman, Environment and Climate Change Minister Stephen Gilbo. And here's Mr. Gilbo. Yeah, he's the guy that says he's a proud socialist. And he's the guy that flew to China in September just to meet with his Chinese communist friends who are allegedly fighting for climate change against the climate change, excuse me, against climate change just as hard as he is. And here's uh, Mr. Gibbo offering a, a few <clears throat> choice observations. We'll be uh, pledging $16 million to, to the loss and damage fund. Um, we think this is a significant step forward. Um, I, I think it will also help create goodwill uh, and, and trust building in, in these negotiations. Thank you, Mr. Gabal. Another $16 million. That's a drop in the bucket, of course, compared to what you're already costing Canada. This is the guy who's going to the United Nations for a single-use plastics treaty because the Trudeau government's single-use plastics order and council was shot down by a federal court. This is the guy who says, we've got to shut off the power. We've got to eliminate natural gas because that's part of fighting climate change. It means doing without fossil fuels. And what else does Mr. Gilbo say? Well, yes, we have got to blame every single forest fire and flood on climate change. And if we don't keep forcing people to pay the carbon tax, it's going to stay the same or get worse. Hmm. Very interesting.
We know this is a farce. We know this is a big charade. This is a power play. You know, my friend Dan McTeague, a former liberal member of parliament for the Scarborough area, and now is the president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, told me that he considers Gibo to be a Manchurian candidate, a useful idiot, and a bona fide Marxist in the liberal cabinet. And this is the guy who's representing Canada overseas at this conference. And you know who else is there, though? Because we've got people from the government of Alberta and Saskatchewan who are there to defend themselves from the decisions that are being made. Because Alberta is could freeze this winter if it, if it actually adhered to Ottawa's net zero policy. Because it doesn't have hydroelectricity, neither does Saskatchewan. And they are going to be punished for not having hydroelectricity and having to to use fossil fuels so people can stay warm this winter. But what's fighting climate change all about for you? It means having less of everything, not being able to drive your car, not being able to travel, not being able to heat your home, and ultimately not being able to eat, not just because the farmers are having harder and harder times growing food for you because they have less fertilizer and they're being told to grow less because it all causes greenhouse gas emissions. But it's costing more to make that food and to transport it to the grocery store. So prices continue to climb. And as Trudeau tries to meddle in the marketplace with artificial wage and price controls, or at least price controls, we're going to see scarcity in the grocery stores. And we could see scarcity on the farms. We could be facing a serious shortage of food. So that's what climate change means for you. So while these elites, hobnob, have, have the best of food, and God knows get drunk into the wee small hours of the morning, they are sacrificing your future for their political gain and for their virtue signaling. I've never used that word because I hate words that are in that become so popular everybody uses them. But it's their self-righteousness to think, oh, we're helping the world. We're trying to save the world. And of course it's all nonsense. It's a made-up crisis. And Canada, by the way, produces 1.3% of greenhouse gas emissions. That's a pretty small carbon footprint, global carbon footprint. So, yes, we could all move into caves tomorrow and we'll have no impact on those greenhouse gas emissions. So COP28 will continue. The speeches will continue. The whining and dining will continue. And the hypocrisy will continue as it always does, as these people get together for a good time. Because they'll keep telling you, we're not here for a long time. No, we're here for a good time. And they have it every year at your expense and the expense of the UN. And believe me, the UN has never made a dollar for itself. Thanks for watching today. I appreciate it. Please subscribe, ring that bell. Like this station, like this broadcast. Thanks for watching today. I'll be back again tomorrow. Freedom Trial Convoy resumes tomorrow. Probably be there, but I will be reporting on it whether I am or not. Thanks for being a faithful viewer of Craden's Right.